0: Good to have all you here today. I want to get into the second week of our two-week Welcome Christmas series we're calling The Spirit of Christmas. And I, I love that what we're going to do here, you know, that this generosity-type project, isn't generosity part of the Spirit of Christmas? It is. And when you hear the spirit of Christmas, you think of a lot of things. You think of decorations. You think of the warm fuzzies of having family around. For some people, the spirit of Christmas may be a little painful this year as we're going through this season. But last week, as we started to look at what the true spirit of Christmas is, we saw that it's the Holy Spirit. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is truly the spirit of Christmas. And we looked last week, we're continuing to this week, how the Holy Spirit is at work all over the Christmas story. I told you last week that the focus of Christmas is the birth of Jesus. That's the focus. We focus on God incarnate here amongst us. It's the birth of Jesus. But we found last week that the power that brought forth that great gift... That, that, that Jesus lying in a manger. That was the Holy, the Holy Spirit. So literally, as we said last week, as we move into this week, just to recap, it is the Holy Spirit who brings the face and hands of God before men. The Holy Spirit who brings the face and hands of God before men. And guess what? It still is. When you sense his hand on your life, guess what? That's the touch of the Holy Spirit. When you sense the favor shining upon you, that's the touch of the Holy Spirit. When you sense that conviction deep down on the inside and a little spark, a little flame starts to burn telling you that God's going to work things out, that's the moving of the hands and face of God in your life through the person of of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, literally the Spirit of Christmas. And and I, I don't believe that this demotes, you know, um, Jesus at this time to be able to talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't think it demotes who Jesus is at all. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers all of this. And so all through Scripture, we can begin to see how God had a desire to be with us. And we understand that the Holy Spirit's work has always been so that god will be with us and when it comes to jesus one of the names of jesus in scripture is emmanuel right now in the mornings we're doing advent with our two littles and 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 it's going through the names of jesus and mac is having so much fun with it as he's quoting all those names you know and one of them is emmanuel which means god with us the personal Holy spirit as we know i don't see jesus here right but he's everywhere At times, I want to feel Jesus, and I would love to touch like Thomas. Even with a doubt-filled heart, touch nail-scarred hands and put my hand into a nail-scarred side. I would love to experience. That's not going to happen yet, but guess what? I have touched Jesus. More importantly, guess what? He's touched me, amen, through the person of the, the Holy Spirit. And so Emmanuel is God with us, and I believe that each and every one of us... We long to have personal God moments, all right? Can I call them Emmanuel moments? Can we just call it that this week? Emmanuel moments, those times where you experience the presence of God for yourself. I don't know about y'all, I get tired of hearing people tell stories. You know what I mean? Like like God did this and God did that and God and God. I want some stories for myself. I want some stories from my own life, right? Don't you? Those Emmanuel moments, those God with us experiences, God with us, that all through Scripture we see, he desires to have a relationship with us. And those experiences of having a relationship with God happen through the person of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that makes, as I said, the face and hands of God evident in your life. And when the Holy Spirit makes... God, if you will come alive in us, when we experience his presence, there's something that happens. That's the abiding presence of the Lord. The abiding presence of the Lord. Just, you know, we we say he walks with us, he talks with us, he tells us we are his own. That, That sense that he is with us every step of the way. And I believe God wants that for us, you know, he wants us to have a story of God's presence. You can remember a time when you were in that car crash and you were like, I know God was there. You can remember a time when you were in that hospital and you knew God was there. My grandmother, Bobby Hatfield, Runyon, Weddington, Runyon. like She she wasn't married a lot. She just kept killing husbands. I've never said that before. That was funny. But no... My granddad and my great and my stepgranddad they both passed, but 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 Grandma Bobby, she um man, she talked about when she was in the hospital in nineteen eighty and she was eat up with, with colon cancer and she said she felt the presence of Jesus come into her bed. She said, My Jesus came into my bedroom in the hospital. And she said that he laid beside her and she felt his shoulder on her shoulder. And his feet on her feet, his knees to her knees. She said it was as if he laid down beside her that whole evening. And she walked out of that hospital. She walked out in healing. She did have surgery, but she was 80 years old. She lived, no, no, she was 70 years old. She asked God for another, I think it was 10 years. She lived another 23 years or something to that. No, she lived another, my brain's not working. Yeah, she was 70. She died at 93. She lived 23 years. But every time we'd be at a church service and we would sing, he touched me, that, that, you know that song, oh, he touched me, and all oh, the, the joy that fills my soul. Little grandma, she would stand up and she would just put her hand up in the air and tears would flow. And even when she got to be 90-some years old, she couldn't get up on her own, you know. And I loved how she used to get up at the house. At the house, she was in a rocking chair, and if she had to get up, she would just get it rocking. She'd get it rocking. <laughs> they didn't have one of the machine chairs yet, and so she would fling herself up into the living room, you know, and um, go change her soap operas. No. But, um. <laughs> but at church, she would stand up because her mind would go back to that moment when she had an encounter with the presence of the Lord. And you could almost see those, not almost, you could, you could see at different times in her life, even with that, that was song that meant something to her, that she would have an encounter with the, pre, the living presence of the Lord, the spirit of Christmas, if you will, the hands and face of Jesus. And then toward the end of her life, we'd have to, she would, she'd call us over. She'd want us to come over and we'd have to grab her elbows in church and ha- help her stand up. Because she wasn't going to sit through that song. If that song came, she wanted to stand because he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that filled her soul, you know? And so that, that's the story of God's presence in my grandma's life. But we all want those kinds of stories. And if we're honest with ourselves, we've seen God's hand at times in our life. And so I just want that to be something that abides, You know, the abiding presence of the Lord, the the abiding face and hands of Jesus. I want to experience that in my life. And I believe there are three things that we have to do if we're going to have Emmanuel moments, okay? Three different things. The first is, number one, we have to escape functional deism, all right? If you're taking notes, write that down. Escape functional deism. Deism. <clears throat> what is deism? Deism is the belief that God exists, but He isn't really with us. I mean, He, he exists. Some people liken deism to God being like a clockmaker who will make the watch. And once the watch is made, and he winds it, he walks away. So it's made with great craftsmanship, care, concern, detail. There was a creator that created this world, this earth, you, every organism, etc., began the process, but afterwards wound this thing up and walked away. That's deism. Believing in God, but the idea of a, a functional deism, living a life in such a way that we believe in God, we just don't live like we do, okay? Okay? Another way of looking at deism is God created everything, pulled away from his creation, and then allows it to run according to its natural laws. So do deists pray? Yeah, deists pray. They'll pray, but they talk towards the idea of God. They don't talk with God. Okay? I'm not trying to down the deist. Can I be honest with you guys? I know we celebrate our forefathers deeply, but the majority of our, Christ, our, church, our, our, our country's forefathers were deists. I mean, they, now, I love it because a move of God started happening in the first and second great awakenings that began to take people from that deistic kind of mindset to a mindset that put them on a knees at an altar. <laughs> That's what our world needs right now because we're not living in deism, but we are living in functional deism. Amen. And so I just want you to, I don't want you to get bent on that. I just want you to understand that's just, that's, just the, that's just truth. That's history, okay? So a lot of our early forefathers, they believed in God, but it was more of a deistic approach. And then a move of God started happening in our country. Various revivals and signs and wonders and God stirring and God making his face and hands known through the person of the, the Holy Spirit. And that became undeniable. And in that point, in that moment, this God with us, they started to experience and started changing our, our, our country. Amen? And we need that again. We don't need functional deism. A deist may sing a song of worship, and they may appreciate the lyrics and the sentiments, but they have no expectation of coming into the throne room of God and encountering his his presence. That's kind of the, 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 the mode of the deist. And I believe if we're going to experience the hands and face of God, we've got to escape functional deism. So many who claim Christ are, are functional deists, and you'll say, "Deist, Ross, that's not me. I'm not a deist. I, I know that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I know that's why I didn't say escape deism. I said escape functional deism. All right. And so, I, yeah, you're right. You know, but but functional deism. How do we live our lives? You know, the, the, the deists would live their life with very little expectations of encounters with God. They would believe that God is transcendent, distant, far, but they wouldn't see him as imminent. They wouldn't see him as close, walking with them, going through their life, helping them in their decisions, and so on. And so, yeah, you're right. We, we're not deists, but what kind of expectations do we have? How do we live out our existence? Do we live like we serve a living God? Amen? Do we pray like we pray to a living God? Do we make decisions like we serve and live for a living God? Do we, you see what I'm saying? Like, 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 or do we live in functional deism? But I'm not an atheist. I'm not saying you are. You're just a functional deist. And at times I am too. At times my discouragement comes because of my functional deism. At times, I get down and frustrated, and it comes from my functional deism. And it may be that I know God exists, but God's going to do it for that preacher. God's going to do it for that person. God's going to do it for that family. God's going to do it for that church. God's going to, you see what I'm saying? And if I'm not careful, I stop walking with an expectation, and I start being bound by functional deism. And I need to escape, and so do you. You need to escape functional deism. And so, how do we do that? In contrast to functional deism, we've got to have theological realism. Amen? Theological, a belief structure, a system about our God, that God is real and we can interact with him in meaningful ways. And every day, having that mindset, he's real and I can interact with him in meaningful ways. The Holy Spirit has come to make his face and his hands to be in my life. And I can interact with him every day. Let me show you how I know that. John 1.1 1, 1 and one. i I'm going to do one, 1 and 1.14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we can see here that Jesus from the very beginning was the word. He was with God. He was God. Go down a few more verses. You begin to see he becomes God incarnate. And you've heard me say that before. You like chili con carne? That's chili with, with meat, chili with flesh. So incarnate, car, it's, it's flesh. It's God in the, the flesh. Amen. And so he's imminent. And he's incarnate, the Bible says. And so the reality of Christmas flies in the face of deism. It flies in the face of that. The reality of Christmas points to the incarnate God in the flesh, not transcendent, but imminent. His hands and his face all over your life. That's what it is. But the problem is we're bound at times with functional deism. And so if we're going to escape functional deism, then we need to, number two, you ready? Write this down. We need to embrace a theology of presence. So if we're going to escape functional deism, we need to embrace a theology of realism or a theology of presence. That we know God is real. And that theology of presence, you've got to know something before you experience something, Right? And so that knowing something, God is real, and he has a desire to interact with us. That's really, to me, the theology of presence. He's real, and he desires to interact with us, all right? So beginning to embrace that, and, um, you know, let me ask you that. Like, kind of, how convinced are you that God desires to interact with you? I mean, I know we can get to that place where, okay, I, I know he's real, but I'm just not convinced that he wants to interact with us. Let him do the convincing. Amen? I'm not trying to get you to just stir your heart and believe in something you can't believe in. Let him do the convincing. But he is Emmanuel. He's God with us. He is incarnate. All that God is, he comes in the flesh through Jesus. Jesus leaves. He sends the Holy Spirit. Why? So he can come in the flesh through us. Amen? So we can see all that he is. His hands and his feet. And Jesus wasn't satisfied, or God, I should say, in the Old Testament, wasn't satisfied to come through priests and prophets to carry his word only. No, no. He said, I will come myself. And so we can have a theology of his presence. He came looking for us. Amen? In Zechariah 1, and this is a throwback to last week, but I want to go back to it. Zechariah 1, 67 through 73. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. We stopped there last week. I want to go back to Genesis, because I want you to see a God that desires to be with us, okay? A God that, that will do anything, literally would divest himself of royalty and take upon the humanity of flesh to come to be a babe in a manger, a God who would literally go to a cross and, and, and be persecuted and die to, to, to live for us so that we can live in him, amen, or die for us so that we can live for him. That, that, I want you to see this kind of God. And so this oath that he had to Abraham, watch, Genesis 26, 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. And will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. It's the same promise given to Abraham. He's going to be with you. He's going to bless you. He's going to multiply you. And so on. In Leviticus 26, it goes on. It says, I will make my dwelling among you. And my soul shall not abhor you. You feel like you've done too much for the love of God to come upon you? No, this is what this is saying. My soul will not abhor you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Let's jump into Isaiah as we look and see this God in the Old Testament that wants to come and and, and have this for us to embrace this theology of presence. He wants to be with you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I love that. He's going to uphold you with his right hand, that right hand of authority, that right hand of power, you know? And then the last verse here I want to share with you on this, it shows what that right hand of power will do. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and to give you power. The victory. Amen? Man, embracing a theology of his presence, that he is with you. You don't have to be dismayed. That he is with you. You don't have to, to fear. That he is with you. That you can know that his right hand is there for you and it's strong for you. And you know what? All throughout the centuries, his people have run from his presence. We have. And we've gotten ourselves into situations. But he, time and time again, comes to show forth that you can come to him, that you can have him in your life bring power, bring authority. And, and you know, I don't know if you guys realize that this week is actually the start of Hanukkah. This week, it started a few days ago. I think today's day four of Hanukkah. And that's just a story of this. It really is. The nation that went away from God, God had allowed the the Seleucid Empire to come and put them into subjection under Antiochus um, Epiphanes. He had literally made it an outlawed thing to have circumcision for the Jewish boys, so that was part of their faith. They could not read Torah, so they couldn't study the Word. They, they, they could not gather in synagogues. He, he turned every, every place of worship into a place that was sacrificing to the Greek god Zeus. He ended up profaning the literal temple in Jerusalem by allowing pigs and sacrificial animals that were were not kosher to be able to be in in that environment, okay? And a man by the name of Judah Maccabees, the Maccabees were a group of people, they were zealots on fire to restore things and to break that stronghold off of them. So in a sense, he was a type of Messiah. He rose up, gathered people, they had a revolt, and Maccabee means hammer, I love that. And brought down the hammer. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Brought down the hammer. And then I think it was 166 B.C., they went in and they were able to take back land okay they were able to take back Jerusalem they were able to take back the temple and in doing so they went in altars were broken down things were desecrated there was animals like I said that were not right in the temple um, and all those things but there was still a light burning they were still and they get this light to burn and that light was always the symbol of the presence of God all right that flame it represented to them God's in the house and they had enough oil to light that light that day. And what the celebration of Hanukkah is about. And do you realize in John, I think it's John chapter 10, you know, Jesus even was there. It's, Hanukkah means dedication. It was the rededication of the temple. They rededicate the temple. They light this light. And Jesus even celebrated. You'll see in John 10. But the thing with it is that light is lit and it's supposed to be replenished with oil every day. But, but there's no oil they have to go and make oil it's going to take eight days to get the oil to come and the miracle is that that next day they show up and guess what that candles that light is still burning amen the presence of God in a sense the symbol of his presence was still on fire guess what day two still on fire enough enough oil for one day day three day four amen man that'll make a Pentecostal shout about Hanukkah come on somebody you say Hanukkah five times fast enough, you already sound like you're speaking in tongues, right? Hanukkah, 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 Hanukkah. <laughs> Day four, eight days, guys, eight days, until the oil was able to be made and come. There was a miracle of provision and presence that God allowed that flame to burn for eight days. Isn't that neat? And, and I love it. One, you, know what, you know what a, a song of, of, of worship is during Hanukkah? It's it's to zur. Can I tell you what Mayor to zur means? means? If you go look up the lyrics of Maor, M-A-O-R-T-Z-U-R, if you go look up the lyrics, it's Rock of Ages. It's not the Rock of Ages you sing. To be honest, it probably has a little more teeth to it than the Rock of Ages you sing. Because it's very much the rock of ages is destroying the foe, the dogs that came against us. Come on, Jesus. You know, it's a little bit, it's, you got to remember, this was, these were the hammers, right? And so it's a little strong song that celebrates the victory that they had over the Seleucids. And, and not just that, oh, the victory that we have in life when God's presence comes. Amen? Mayor The rock of ages we still serve him. And through the person of the Holy Spirit, man, the rock of ages is our foundation. Through the person of the Holy Spirit, the rock of ages is our right hand. Because of the Holy Spirit, the rock of ages, Jesus is alive and well. And we see the hands and face of God. Can you give God some praise in here? Amen? This just shows me, though, God has always desired to draw near to his people. All throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, that's during the intertestamental periods when nothing was being written. We still see God not leaving his people He's still coming to to do a miracle in the midst of that. God always has desired that all through, as I said, the Old Testament. The sad truth is his people often push him away. And so let's fast forward to the idea of Jesus coming. We call that time of celebration the Advent, right? This time leading up to Christmas. The reason why is Advent means coming. It's the coming of Jesus. Let's just say it's the coming of God. It's him drawing near to us. It's him saying you can embrace a theology of presence because I will not forsake you. I will not leave you. I am coming. And yes, he came as a child, but through the Holy Spirit, the face and hands of God still come to people today. Amen? Amen. So that Advent, he desires for you to experience fellowship with God. He desires for that kind of connection. And so if we're going to have Emmanuel moments, then yes, we need to embrace a theology of presence. We need to escape that that, that whole functional deism, embrace that his presence is real and that God desires to interact with us. I don't want to just know that, all right? It's one thing to know things. I don't want to just know that. I want to experience the reality of Jesus, amen? And so how do we do that? I want you to, number three, I want you to experience, number three, experience the blessing. Experience the blessing. Experience the blessing. Experience. Experience. I want you to experience the blessing of proximity, all right? The blessing of proximity. In other words, God desires to draw near to us. That's the Christmas story. He doesn't want to be transcendent but imminent. That's that's his gift to us. Now we've got to experience the blessing of proximity. We have to go after him. We have to take the initiative to draw near to God. Take that initiative. And I want to close with just two quick little verses that deal with two groups of Christmas story people. The shepherds and my favorite, the wise men. If you're watching, my last name is Wiseman. Okay, so so Luke 2, 15 through 16. When the angels went away from them, this is speaking of the, the shepherds at night. They're watching their flocks. The angels come. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. They will be born unto you in the city of David. A, a child, a savior, a son, and his name is Jesus, and etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera. You go read that portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 2, and it, and it lays out that you're going to find this baby. And so they're hearing that their Messiah has been born, and they're being stirred by the, 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 the angels to go see for themselves, to go see for themselves. I love that, to go see for themselves. And so when the angels went away from and he- the- went back into heaven the shepherds said to one another let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger They weren't satisfied to stay back in the fields they wanted to experience the blessing of proximity They didn't know they were going to walk in blessing they just knew they had to get close That's proximity How close you are to something. They needed to draw near. And as I looked at this, I thought this was so neat. We said that we have to escape functional deism. These shepherds knew of a promise. They knew of the possibilities of a Messiah. They knew all of that. But their lives hadn't changed that much knowing all that. They knew he was coming, but they hadn't changed their lives that much. The angels come, spark them, and then guess what? They go into embracing a theology of presence. Let us go over to Bethlehem. You will find him lying in a manger, they heard. So they embraced that principle. When they said, you're going to find him, that's his presence. You'll find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. In that moment, they didn't go, well, that's neat. Thank you, angels, for telling us this. Thank you, pastor, for telling me God has something for me. It's no different than an angel on a hillside telling you, go find Jesus. I'm telling you, God has something for you. Amen? But it's not on that hillside. No matter how good the angelic message was, they had to embrace the theology of presence, and they went to Bethlehem. Let's go over to Bethlehem. That's them making a choice, if you will, to embrace that, I'm saying, the theology of presence. And guess what happens? Let us see this thing that has happened. They got to experience the blessing of proximity. They they went with their own eyes, and they got to see for themselves. And it says in Luke 2, verse 20, after they saw Jesus for themselves, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them, as those angels had told them, go. Now they've experienced, and guess what? They've got Emmanuel moments to talk about. They had something to glorify God and to praise God for. Amen? So when it comes to our life, we hear other stories. Man, I'm telling you, escape deistic, functional deism. Go after, embrace a theology of presence. Know that he exists. And as you go after, draw near to him. And the new year, in January, I'm, I'm going to be presenting on January the 3rd, that, that Sunday, the Lord's really laid in my heart where we're headed in 2021. And man, I I want us to have that, that embracing a the theology of presence. I want us to have us going after God, okay? And I'll explain more of that on that day. And then put in your calendar right now, put June, Monday the 4th. Monday, January 4th, that's when we're going to start our fast. Last year, we did a week fast. We did like... You know, eight weeks of different things, if you remember right. This year, we're doing three-week fast, our 21-day fast, okay? And so we're going to start that on January 4th. Put it in your calendars now. We'll talk about that on January 3rd and jump right in the next day, all right? But we can see here in the story of the shepherds, we can see that reality, okay? We can just see how this, this process played out. In Matthew 2, let's look at the wise men. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. These are a group of men who knew the promises and they knew the possibilities. They had studied, they had heard other prophetic words, they were looking for something, they were looking for a sign, they were looking for a star. They see the star, and in that moment, it goes from them just having that, 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 that idea that it could happen, they get past just functional deism, and they begin to embrace a theology of presence. They say, where is he? I love it. They begin looking for him. They begin following the star. And I don't know how long they walked and how far they walked, But it was a distance, and I'm sure it was dark, and I'm sure they got discouraged, and I'm sure they got frustrated, right? Just like we do, as we're trying to meet out that time in our life when we're not seeing and feeling and experiencing God. But but we've went past functional deism. How do I know they did that? Because their feet are moving toward Bethlehem. Amen? Their feet are moving toward the promise. Their feet are moving toward what they believe is real, but they don't know yet. But they start to embrace that theology of presence where He is. They begin to go that way. They begin looking for Him. And guess what? It says, we have come to worship Him. They experienced the blessing of proximity. As they drew near, they got to that place where they saw Jesus. They saw Him with their own eyes. Let's just make our hearts kind of prayerful this morning. Amen? Because every one of us, myself included... Go through seasons and times where it's just hard for us to believe. If God was God, you fill in the points. How many have ever done that before? Me too. Me too. And with it, the greatest gift that we ever receive is his presence. The enemy of our heart would love for us to miss that gift, to miss out on the, 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 the empowering presence of who God is in our lives his hand and his face if you missed one I'm, that means the next. like look, look this is the last week's service okay but his hands and face in our But God wants us to escape that amen it's a place of doubt it is but God wants us to be able to escape that he wants us to be able to embrace that theology of presence that he wants to have a relationship he wants to show himself forth mightily just like all the scriptures we share today and in doing so, as we embrace, know that He's embracing. He's coming toward us. We begin to go toward Him. As we do that, man, He shows up. We get to experience the blessing of proximity. I really believe twenty twenty one will be a big part of that in our church. The blessing of proximity. That's not the word over the year. That's not the truth over the year. It's just something that's starting to stir in me. Amen. I cannot wait until. To drop that for you guys to bring that to you. So just begin to prepare your hearts now. If, if right now, close your eyes and just bow your heads a little bit. If right now you're struggling with faith, just in general, just it's hard for me to believe. Maybe it's hard for me to believe Jesus. It's hard for me to believe that He would want to touch me. Maybe that's that's yours. It's more like I have a hard time believing that He wants to make a difference in my situation. You may not even have a hard time believing that he'll make a difference in somebody else's situation. But in your situation, if that's you, would you hold up your hand? I'm going to put my hand up today, too. If that's you. Father, you see hands here today. Lord, we just come to you. We ask, Lord, that that functional deism that we have, that would be replaced with a theology of realism. That we would know without a doubt that you are the same God of yesterday. And you are in our lives. The person of the Holy Spirit today. Lord God, that you would give us that sense of, of promise that we'd pursue you and know that you've drawn near to us. And that in doing so, knowing that, it's not enough. But Lord God, we would begin to put our heart and our faith toward pursuing you. With a confidence knowing, Lord, that you're going to meet us in that place. And we too will have that Emmanuel moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.